Alright, that said, uh, I wanted to flog on you a couple of pictures that I took at uh, Labor Day, uh, the <laughs> gathering at my house, because uh, I have a PowerPoint and I know how to use it. Uh, I thought this was good. <laughs> I have no idea there, and I thought this was good. Yeah, very well. Uh, or this one. Everybody's after the food, okay? Uh, picture of the neighborhood kid. <laughs> very hungry neighborhood kid. And finally, the fun and games after. None of one of those dumb little things has nothing to do with the lessons that you know, I come across. With. Oh, and then I want, oh I did, I did have one other thing, and that was uh, today's quote uh, from J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, this is kind of the thoughts to live by during the week. Uh, and it is this, if it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations, <laughs> if you live near them. <laughs> Very profound. Okay? If you live near a dragon, make sure you're there. You got him figured in. Okay, that's it. Um, we are, last week we had a chance, we went through uh, uh, several principles that were contained in Helaman 1 through 5, and, and we just got dabbing along and doing great and stuff like that, and we never got to number 4. So I want to come back and, and visit this because I just thought this was so powerful that it was worth kind of going back to. So if we can, if we can turn to Helaman uh, 5. Okay, now, we started, just as a reminder, we started in verse, uh, when 21, we were talking about the fact that Nephi and Lehi were out preaching, and they go to preach to the Lamanites, and they end up getting thrown in prison by the Lamanites, and then, uh, in verse 21, we get this little reminder, and this is even the same prison that Ammon uh, and his brethren were cast in by the servants of Limhi. Anybody remember why it is this was significant? Rather than just a little bit of detail. Remember, this isn't Ammon and the sons of Mosiah. This is Ammon. Let's try and find out what happened to our people in Nephi. And then they go and they find Limhi and they're like, hey, we're under King Noah and life is really horrible. Can you get us out of here? Kind of thing. And what was the significance of them being in the same prison? Absolutely. In other words, here were people that, uh, with Ammon and the brethren, they were coming in up to the land of Nephi to deliver these guys, and they misunderstood and threw them in prison. Okay? And here comes the parallel. So here comes Nephi and Lehi. Why are they coming up to the land of Nephi again? To deliver them, right? To try and, now in, in, one, in that case it was geographical, we'll pull you out of Nephi and get you to a safe place. In this case they're coming in to rescue them 
spiritually. And they end up in prison as a result of that. Sometimes what we're discovering is, is that sometimes when we go to rescue people, uh, the first experience with that is not always positive. Anybody ever had the, uh, the, the experience of going out to rescue the uh, way inactive? Or people on the do not contact list? How's that go sometimes? And <laughs> You don't want to be rescued, leave us alone. Okay, and, and yet you're trying to somehow bring them back and they're fighting you and sometimes you have to fight through the fighting to fight for them. Kind of thing. Okay? So, we got that. Then an interesting thing happens. Um, verse 22, they've been cast into prison many days without food. That seems to be the deal. If you're going to be thrown in prison, you're not fed. Uh, uh, and they went forth into the prison to take them that they might slay them. And by the way, we know from later on, how many people were coming into the prison here? About 300. This isn't like a couple of guys going in to like, slay them. This is 300 people pouring into this prison. Um, 23, and it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi were what? Circled about by fire. Okay, now the last, let's stop for a second. The last prison experience that we have recorded in the Book of Mormon happened about uh, 30 years earlier. And it was who? In the, in the Book of Mormon. Not Abinadi. Alma and Amulek. Remember? Alma and Amulek are in the prison. Remember they keep getting slapped and spit on and stuff like that and eventually the prison falls in on them and they walk out through the dust and, and go visit the Ezra. Okay? So let me ask you, what's the difference here? Because we're about to see an amazing miracle. They're going to walk in 300 people and instead of like standing there quietly taking the abuse and then having the walls cave in on them, this time what happens is they're walking in and they're surrounded by a pillar of fire, which would kind of get their attention and help facilitate the, the incredible conversion that's about to occur in the, across this nation. Okay? What's the difference here? Why does Nephi and Lehi get the pillar of fire, Alma and Amulek get the destruction? And how do we know? Because okay, that, there was obviously the difference is not with the prophets and what they can do. Because Alma, by the way, and, and this is a whole topic, we're not going to have time to go into it. Alma and Nephi are very, very similar in the way that they're both translated. They both have a single power. There's, there's incredible differences between So the, the power is the same. So the difference is with who? The people. The people. What's the difference between these Lamanites pouring into this prison and the people that have Nihah that poured into the prison with Alma and Amulek. They were, uh, the first group, Amulek and Alma, they were dissenters. They had once known the truth. Right. They them. Now there is this, there is this uh, dissonance, dissonance, dis... Dissenters. Yeah, those. <laughs> there are some of those in here. In fact, that Benadab, we already got his name, you know, is, is actually a Nephi center. Okay, so there is some of those, but you're right, it's mainly Lamanites. What's the difference? And when I gets the crushing walls, these guys get the miracles. 
just amazing. Um, 23, Nephi and Lehi were encircled as about by fire. 24, when the people saw that they were encircled with, oh, when Nephi and Lehi saw they were encircled by a pillar of fire and it burned them not, their hearts took courage. They saw the Lamanites couldn't slay them. And it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi did begin to preach to them, fear not. It's God that has shown you this marvelous thing. Uh, 27, what happens? Earth shakes. Yeah, tends to do that. Um, by the way, let, as you look at the rest of this, let me just give you a, uh, one, of the, one of the lesser known experiences in, in church history that, that we can kind of put this in context with. Uh, when, when Brigham Young gets to the battle, uh, Great Salt Lake, uh, he gets there about July... 24, okay. How soon does he then, how long does he stay in the valley? Yeah, just a few weeks. By the middle of August, he's on his way where? Back to winter quarters. Why is he going to go all the way back? He just got there. He's just overcoming the Rocky Mountain body fever, whatever he had. He's on his way all the way ready to go back to winter quarters. Why? His family was there. Well, yeah, some of his family was there. To testify of the place that he had. Testify, yeah. But he could have sent apostles back to testify. What was the big urgency to get back to winter quarters? 
It took him a long time. And I know my pioneer grandfather went with him, and you know, journals about this journey back to winter quarters. Church records were still in winter quarters. He was going to go back and get those, but that wouldn't be the reason. Who is in charge of the church at the moment? The Council of the Quorum of the Twelve. Now, he had left three of the apostles, Parley Pratt, uh, and I can't remember, some of the others coming back from Britain, were still in winter quarters. What was really important to President Smith, or President Young? The reorganization of the first presidency. He wanted to have he wanted to have the first presidency reorganized, and he had to get the quorum together to do that. And the quorum was scattered. That's why he's making a mad dash back to winter quarters. So they get back to winter quarters. They get the brethren together. Uh, they have uh, they they cross the river. There is one big cabin where they could meet with the quorum of the twelve to reorganize it. Uh, they reorganize it. And at that, at that meeting, uh, divine uh, uh, blessings are poured out and they hear the voice of God in this little log cabin in what is now Kingsville. Okay? And when the voice of God speaks, guess what happens? The ground shakes and people come running to what, what's going on here we had an earthquake no it was God speaking to us verifying and certifying the reorganization of the first presidency okay when God speaks the voice the ground shakes um, now and li so listen to this verse 30 who's in who's in good reading voice Today. Okay? Gotcha. Alright, fire away. And it came to pass, when they heard this voice, and beheld that it was not a voice of thunder, neither was it a voice of great tumultuous noise, but behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as it had been a whisper. Okay, now let's stop for a sec. Because you're reading this, there's also a guide for us, right? About saying, when do I know God has, has spoken to me? You know, was it a prompting or just me? How do I know? And so, so read that description again. Because I just love this. If you want to know, it, was that really the Lord speaking to me? Now, by the way, when, when I mention this, again, talk to our Christian brothers and sisters. You ask them, and they'll say, how do you know God answered your prayer? What will they say? We are prayer warriors. We gathered together. There was like great praying stuff and it was good. And, and they're just pouring their hearts out. Really good people pouring their hearts out. And you ask that, because I did this recently. How do you know when God answers your prayers? And what's their answer? He blesses you. Yeah. In other words, I, I'll get what I pray for or, or I see results. I prayed for help and a guy showed up with money. You know, or... And sometimes we do that in the church, and sometimes that's the way prayers are answered. What is not in their tradition, as, as the, the, the larger Christian church, is the idea that answers to prayers can come directly from God speaking to you and telling you things. 
For them, the tradition is, I got an answer to prayer because we got a new job. It was just, I didn't hear it, but the things just happened. Okay? We have to be really, really careful, guys, that we get caught up in our own prayers doing that. Saying, I know, I'll know that God answered my prayer when this thing happened, or this thing happened, or this result, or I got this phone call, or, or you know, whatever. And sometimes that occurs. But if that's our chief way of getting answers to prayers, we're missing His voice. Which is, so read 30 again. Okay. You want to read the description or the whole thing? The whole thing. Okay. And it came to pass, when I heard this voice, and we held that it was not a voice of thunder, and we know that the voice of great tumultuous noise, but behold, it was a still voice of perfect mildness, as it had been a whisper, and it did pierce even to the very soul. Yeah, and then line of 31, and notwithstanding the mildness of the voice. Hear all those descriptions? Now, let me ask, why does the Lord do this? Wouldn't it be better if you got the thunder? Wouldn't it be better if He like rattled you every time the answer came? Why is He going to go with mildness and stillness and, and all of these descriptions? Why does He, why does he do that? Really? Well, I think it's because if you are ready to hear it, you're going to, and if you're not, then you're not. You're, it's that line upon line of <coughs> If you're prepared and your soul is listening, right. whether you know it or not, you're going to hear it. And you're going to have to get yourself in a place to be hearing a very quiet, still voice. In the midst of the earth trembling and a fire, just a few feet away. Yeah, there's, a, there's burning over here, but we're still getting that right. <laughs> That's a good point. Things in your house could be a little tumultuous. You know, and you're going, okay, now I need to get really quiet and be able to hear this still small voice. I had thought that this was something that could not be duplicated by any other power. Ooh, I like that. This is something that couldn't be duplicated. And this is, this is a very unique kind of thing. A lot of times we would expect the Hollywood version of Moses. And what we're getting is something very quiet and still and deep. Now it does shake us. When you really hear it, it's usually your soul that quakes and goes, oh man, now I know what I have to do and I don't necessarily want to do that. But I think that's a good way, but that way we can't miss it. Yeah? When I read this chapter, the first thing I read this section was, this is the conversion pattern. This is from Priest by Gospel. You have to start with the belief in God. Yes. It's the beginning of faith. Right. And even for these people, and as we're about to find out, they're not even converted yet, but they're hearing something that they can't identify. What is it that, wow, what's going on? Now, peak, something piqued their interest. You know, if your prisoners are surrounded by fire and not being scorched, kind of the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bindigo, kind of, wow, this is different. Now you've got their attention, you kind of stand up on your hind paws and you're going to look and go, wow, that's, that's not something you see every day. But this is the conversion pattern. If you'll see it, that's really where we want to go with this. Um, it was a still voice, a perfect mildness, and if it had been a whisper, okay? And the, the ground shakes, but now look, look what happens here. What descends on them is a cloud of what? Darkness which overshadowed them, and it did not disperse. So they heard the voice once. Now here comes 32. And the voice came again, saying, Repent, repent. 
The earth shakes again and the walls tremble. And here comes verse 33. What happens next? They hear the voice again. They hear the voice again. Wow. All right. And so they're stand, picture this. They're standing in darkness and the voice speaks to them three times. Now, I want to talk just for a second about uh, what I call the treble prayer. Yeah? I, I think it's far more practical than that. I think if God wanted to burst our eardrums, I think He could. He could very easily, I yeah. If He wanted to ring our eardrums to where we couldn't hear each other for a while, <laughs> I think He could. Yes. If He wanted to put us into a state of shock, He could I do that too. I think He wants to talk to us in the state that our minds are still intact, our ears are still intact. We can still hear each other, and He can talk to us three times so we can hear each other every time. I like that. I like that. So we can't attribute it to anything else other than knowing that it's Him. He knows it's us. He knows our physical limitations. Perfect. And he isn't going to blow us away. No. It's not how He works. Now, let's talk about the... So, so here's the pattern. People are in darkness. They're going to hear the voice of God how many times? Three times. The third time that marvelous things are said. Now, understanding the scriptures is about understanding patterns and looking for patterns everywhere you see them and they help you understand what you're looking at. This is the treble prayer. How many times in our experience have we heard the prayer that is repeated three times. In our own experiences or through our scriptures? Through the, first of all, through the scriptures. Tell me some other cases where we see God or people praying three times. Well, oh, three times? Yes. This is the treble prayer. Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. And, and by the way, with the, with the witnesses... They did have to pray three times before that would come. Get Martin Harris out of there and then the three remaining ones. And we'll pray three times then we see the angel. Where else? Adam. Adam. Yeah. Didn't the Savior leave three times? Yes. Garden of Gethsemane. Pray. Wake up. Pray. Wake up. Pray. You guys sleep. Third time. Yes, he did. There's the other one. We're going to read about that in just a few weeks where the Savior is there. You guys pray. He goes off and he prays. Then he comes back, prays some more. He goes off. The third time, incredible. So the Lord tends to pray in threes. And the third time is going to be really powerful. Okay? Now, do we know what that's about? Why that is? Could it have to do with the Trinity? Could be. Because, by the way, I don't have an answer for this one. I'm still at this point of going, well, that's interesting. I see the Sometimes I'll see the pattern without understanding all of the symbolism. Because some of the symbolism makes sense to me. How many uh, degrees of glory are there? Yeah. Okay. Could be. Sometimes we need that re repeating. Got it? I don't know. Here's what I do know. That when Joseph was walking uh, a number of saints, Elizabeth Leitner Rollins, uh, through the uh, not yet built 
part of the Nauvoo temple, he turned to her and said, you do not know how to pray. And then to the brethren later he would say, you need to become acquainted with men like Daniel, who pray three times a day with their face towards the temple. Breakfast, lunch, dinner? <laughs> you know, I wondered about that one. Uh, but I also know that when I, I actually, based on that, I actually went back and did some research. And if you are an observant, uh, if you're really an observant Jew, how many times a day will you pray? There is the morning, there is the afternoon sacrifice, and then there is the evening. Uh, in fact, I think Islam is, is there five? Yeah, they're going to add more. <laughs> But yeah, there is, a, there is a pattern through antiquity of praying three times a day. And if that, that may be the relationship to us. That we are to pray three times, seeking guidance from God three times. John mentioned that uh, the Lord rose the third day, too. So this number three is... Oh, it's... it's the, it, three in, in Hebrew numerology means complete. It means whole. Somebody like that. Yeah. Isn't symbolic of beginning, middle, and end? There's one. Completing that whole cycle. Yeah, see, see, how, see what your brain does with that? Okay, now, if that's the case, if we're looking at a divine pattern here, then where's the application? Because that's because we always need to be looking at it and go, well, that's interesting, but what does that mean to me this week? Yeah. I think. Sometimes it's that repetition. Yeah? Steadfastness is the expression of faith. In what way? Because if you, if you think something once and it just passes on by, you think it again and you say it again, it, uh, it reinforces and then you say it the third time, I really mean this. I, I truly, truly want uh, uh, this uh, prayer answer. Think about what happens sometimes when we're struggling with those heavy issues in our life. And we're going to go and we're going to do the prayer. You know, I'm going to, Heavenly Father, I'm going to stay on my knees until an answer comes. And I'm just going to hang in here and I'm going to weary the Lord. Long running thing. And when the Lord affected the atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane, we just said it. How many times did He pray? Isn't that interesting that He would pray take a break, come back and pray with greater intensity, take a break, actually connect with people that he loved, and then he knew that loved him. I think it was kind of a reassurance there for him. And then go back and pray a third time with greater intensity. I wonder if we're willing to do that in our own prayer. Twenty and a half years ago, there was a I gave a prayer three times in a row while I was standing there reading the opening hymn to get a more defined, a really defined answer being sure it was coming from the right direction. Right. 
because it crossed my mind that maybe Satan was trying to answer me, trying to lead me in the wrong direction, although I haven't been though I needed an answer to that prayer rather quickly. Sure. But the third time I prayed, and each was one after another, while I'm standing there leading this hand. Wow. Wow. But the, the prayers were really intense. I felt calm after the third prayer, or even during the third prayer, that I had a, I don't want to say the right answer, I want, I want to say that I felt the answer, the answer came from the right direction. Okay. I felt totally secure that the answer came from the right direction. That, that's cool. And, and, I, and I think that's a, that's a good pattern here. So I guess what I'm suggesting is, is that if you end up having to pray repeatedly, and each one more intense, you may be following divine pattern. Yeah. I had a bishop that if he was counseling to an individual, or if two leaders of the board were meeting with him and counseling together, he would have each one of them say prayer, one after the other. He, he would pray last, but each of them would say a prayer regarding that topic before he started the meeting. Isn't that interesting? I know that in the, uh, the church disciplinary councils that I've sat in on as a bishopric member and each one of us would pray in turn. There was a there was a power to that. Yeah. So um, I'm just a little bit confused of how are these prayers that you haven't received answers for? I'm thinking about like the Martin Harris when you pray and you yeah. keep praying. Right. I thought it was that you pray once, but it's just like you haven't received any I think so. And let, let me just take it even, even farther than that. But what if there, what if there is an answer and you're just missing it? Then are you going to be in Yes, you're going to be in trouble because you didn't. No, I think... Yeah, I think there's... I think we have the ability... Because in, in that case, marvelous things occurred. It was not what Joseph Smith wanted because he kept asking and the third time he pestered him, but he hadn't gotten any... He was getting he was getting answers each time. Not the answer he wanted. Not the answer he wanted. I think sometimes if we're talking about this kind of prayer, answers still aren't coming, and I think we have the ability to then go back and pray more intently each time, and then wait for marvelous things to occur. So, yeah. There must be something unique about this, obviously. There is. But there's that sense of multiplicity. And in other words, we're just we're not going to try and rely on a single prayer where it's either continually or, or many times during the day. Now I want you to notice something that's interesting about these about what happens in this experience here. Um, I want you to hop down now to look at verse 40. Because here's what's about to occur. For these Lamanites, and you go, well, how come they didn't get crushed and stuff like that? Listen to where they were in terms of their willingness to accept things. 
verse 40, And it came to pass that the Lamanites said unto Abinadab, the, this descender who goes, Hey, I, I think I know what's going on here. And they said what? What shall we do? These things are happening. What do, we, what do we need to do here? And Abinadab says unto them, You must repent, cry unto the voice. We don't even know exactly who this is. Pray unto the voice. They're in the darkness. The voice is above them. What do we do? Just pray to the voice. Okay, we'll do that. Um, Until you shall have faith in Christ, uh, and when you shall do this, the cloud of darkness shall be removed from overshadowing you. Now, I, oh, I just love the symbolism. How many times are we trying to talk to somebody who has very little knowledge about the church and the gospel, and where are they? They're in darkness. What do I need to do? What do you feel? I feel, I hear some things. Pray to the voice. Just follow that. You're in darkness and pray to that voice uh, so that you can have faith in Christ. Um, and then, 44, Laman and Nephi and, and Lehi are in the midst of them. They're encircled. Yea, now they're encircled in the midst of fire. Uh, look at 45. And behold, the Holy Spirit of God did come down from heaven and then do a very interesting thing. It does what? Enters into their heart. There's conversion. They're in darkness. They hear a voice. Pray to the voice. With real intent, what do we need to do? They want to be told. They're going to pray to the voice. Here comes the answer. And the Holy Ghost comes out of heaven and does what? Enters into their heart. Now, by the way, there's an interesting thing that's happening. When the Holy Ghost enters into somebody's heart, what has occurred? Sanctification. What are they being sanctified from? From sin. They're not even baptized yet. They have just been, they just received the baptism of fire. Before they had the baptism of water. Where does the cleansing of sins come? Fire. Not water. By water we keep the commandment. By fire is when we're cleansed. And sometimes that will occur before, everybody, before somebody ever steps into the water. Does that make sense? And by the way, just as a reminder, um, if you want to um, keep your finger there, hop over to 3 Nephi 9. I'm always a little worried when I start spoiling my lessons ahead because we're going out there and pulling the nuggets, but let's, we'll do that. 3 Nephi 9, 20. Who's, who's got it? Okay, by the way. And you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Okay, now listen close. In order to have, you say, this is the Savior talking to the Nephites. You're going to have to oh, do that broken heart, contrite spirit, Remember, this is, the, this is the sacrifice that we're talking about. We used to sacrifice animals. Now we're sacrificing the animal in us. That sacrifice is going to occur. Okay, so broken heart, contrite spirit, and? And who shall summon unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Now, he's going to give them an example. To give you an idea of how I will cleanse you, if you come to me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, 
Listen to the example that the Savior now uses. Okay? Even as the Lamanites. By the way, which Lamanites? These. These. Them. Them gods. Okay? Because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Isn't that great? They had just been cleansed of sin. They had just been sanctified, and they didn't even know it. They need to be taught and educated, but their contrite heart had already led them to have them be filled with the Holy Ghost, receive the baptism of the book of fire. They were clean. That's why they were now surrounded by fire and, and by angels. And all the angels, all the things that's about to occur, is happening to a cleansed group of people. And they haven't even seen the waters of baptism yet. Isn't that great? Yeah. When we talk about the law of sacrifice, I guess in my little mind, there's going to be more of like, you're excited that we're supposed to like give up ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys hear that? Because to me, I think that's the biggest thing. Because we may talk about sacrifice. Well, I'll give up my time and talents and stuff like that. What, what the Lord does, He doesn't necessarily want our money or our time. What does He want? Us. He wants the sacrifice of us. Give me all of you and I will make you into an incredible thing. amazing about this. Okay, now, if we go forward on this then, um, and then look at 46 and 47 back in Helaman 5. It came to pass that there came a voice unto them, a pleasant voice as if it were a I love that. Peace Peace be unto you because of your faith in my well-beloved who was from the foundation of the world. By the way, these 300 then go out and do what? They go out and testify. They tell everybody. And then what happens? Hold, 
the nation's converted, they give the lands back to the Nephites. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found interesting... That's another 300, by the way, three. <laughs> One of the things that I found interesting, too, was that this isn't the first time they've heard about Christ. No, it's because not. It says, you know, who was taught unto you by Alma and Amnon and Zetron. And I think, you know, we think, oh my gosh, how cool would it be for this big spiritual thing to happen in our hearts to be converted and for it to all... And here's the here's the funny thing about that. Can you imagine Alma and Amulet as they're walking out of Ammonihon? Some people got dumped on, you know, in the in the prison. Everybody else is just like rejecting them. And Alma and Amulet are walking out going, well, that was a bust. <laughs> no. All that preaching we did, nobody listened to it, wasted time, man. I'm just flapping our jaws. You know, if they want to roll, fine, let them roll. And yet, this is the moment, the seeds were planted enough, and maybe Abinadab was there with them, maybe he's an older guy, that they remembered Alma and Amulek coming 30 years previous, and going, wait a minute, this is the same thing that Alma and Amulek were preaching long time ago. God, maybe this is really true, but the seeds were planted. Because he says that you have faith in Christ. He doesn't have to explain who Christ is. He doesn't have to go into any more details than you've been talking. Yeah, you know what you, you know this. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, I also think it's interesting that this is the Father's feeding step. You know, usually when the Lord is speaking, it's through the Father's feeding. Yeah, this was enough that they got the voice of the Father. Yeah, you're right. Whether this was actually the Father or the Savior in divine investiture speaking. We don't know, but he is speaking in... Yeah, great point. Okay, let's move on. Oh, first of all, so now here's the principle. And it's taken us another hour to finally get to principle number four. What do we do? Oh, I was just going to point out that it's interesting that uh, they were even more righteous than the Nephites after this happened. Yeah, well their conversion was deeper. You know, a lot of the Nephites, I think, had joined the church because of tradition, or they'd always done that. Boy, these guys were there because the Holy Ghost had entered into their heart. They were cleansed. They were changed human beings. Okay? Good point. Okay, so here's principle number four. Finally, a broken heart and a contrite spirit bring us out of darkness. We are in darkness until we have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Does that make sense? And sometimes we're the word we go, yeah, but we're members of the church. Yeah, but you could be in darkness. <laughs> when, you're, when you give the Savior your all, then you can bring him out of that darkness into his most marvelous light. Okay? Okay. With that, now we closed up last week's lesson. And we are in so in trouble. <laughs> Okay. Helaman 7. I want to talk about uh, tower moments. Okay, now, here, here's what happens in the intervening time. Nephi has this great experience, they have marvelous things, he goes back home. Nephi does what he does. He goes on another mission. He goes up to the north countries. 
to try and preach. Um, verse 2, he'd been forth among the people in the land northward, preached the word, did prophesy of many things, and they did what? Ah, yeah. Not, it's not going well. This great prophet who just had this marvelous experience, he goes up there and just breaks his plow. Man, there's nothing happening up there. What, what's the difference between the, the Lamanites there and the people he's preaching to? The people, right? Their preparation, who they are. The prophet is the same with the same power and the same marvelous ability to preach. And this group ain't listening and there's nothing he can do to break through that. Okay? So he gives up. Uh, to preach the word, to prophesy, they did reject all his words, he couldn't stay among them, but returned into the land of his nativity. He's going home. Now he comes home and life is ducky at home, right? Oh man. Um, and, and seeing the people in such a state of wickedness, those Gadian Roberts filling Roberts robbers <laughs> filling the judgment seats, having usurped power and authority. Now listen to what they were doing. By the way, and I love this last line. And this is this is going to be key to what we're talking about. The last line of that verse says, "The main problem at this point with the Gadian robbers is that they were what doing no justice." Justice becomes really key with what we're going to talk about here. So, here's what they were doing. Verse 5. Condemning the righteous because of their... Righteous. Yeah, they're getting it just because they're righteous. Okay? And letting the guilty and wicked go free. Why? Because of their money. Are we starting to do that today? <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard time holding my tongue here. Um... And moreover, to be held in office at the head of government, to rule and do according to their wills. And why do they want to be in office? Gain. That they might get gain and glory of the world, that they might more easily commit adultery and steal and kill and do according to their own wills. It is it, <laughs> yeah. Do you see a lot of broken heart, contrite spirit thing going on here? No, we're bowing up, man. I, you know, vote for me. I'm awesome. Okay. Now, I, I love this. For this great iniquity, verse six, had come in not many years. Nephi saw it. His heart was swollen with sorrow in his breast, and he did exclaim in the agony of his soul. Now, where does he go to do this? And we, and this is a few verses later down. Where is he? In his garden, on his. That is so fascinating to me. I would love to get the rest of this story. Is it possible that they had, based on like King Benjamin, that one of the traditions that they had was their own towers, a small version of it in their gardens, in their house or something? Everything in the... If you start, if you just, if you start thinking about all the towers that are in the Book of Mormon, there are a lot of towers. There are righteous towers in Nephi, in the, in the land of Zarahemla. There are going to be wicked towers in the Lamanites to preach horrible things to them. Towers. Okay, and isn't it interesting that he would have a tower in his backyard that he can pray to, on? Wouldn't you like to do that? Why would they have that? Isn't that awesome? Okay, and by the way, I had this 
I had this conversation once with myself in the temple. I was thinking, because I was looking at, here's Adam and Eve, and they, when they would pray, where would they go? To, the, to, to their, probably to a garden spot, and to their altar. And they're going to pray at their altar and get answers to prayers. You know, they want God to hear them. And they would go to their altar to do it. Often, yeah, great point. In fact, it was suggested that the Garden of Eden was a on a mountain because the rivers flowed out of that and all things. It probably put that in a mountain setting, and it could be that they would have a mountain. Although Adam and Diana at this point has been leveled, it's not. There's not a lot of mountains there, but yeah. That the terrain probably there was roads and high places, and that he was just way up high. Yeah, in fact, we know that his altar where he blesses kid is called kid's called Spring Hill. It was a it was a raised area, so it's kind of temple like. Does that make sense? Okay. So to have a tower, if you don't have a hill or to have a mountain, then you could have a tower in your backyard, I guess, to, to pray on. But by the way, when I was when I was in the temple, I, I was wishing that I had my own altar. You know, could I have an altar that I could then pray on and get answers to prayer? That would be kind of cool. And then I realized I'm sitting in the endowment room, staring at what? An altar. I've got one. Anytime that I need to have that experience, I can go to the temple and have an altar to pray at. That's awesome. Yeah. What's up? Okay. Uh, towers where they are looking out to protect themselves against the enemy too. Oh, yes, that's true. Let's say the towers are looking out so that you're able to better see your enemies. If you had a prayer tower, what purpose would that serve? Protect you against the enemy. And to be able to look out and see better your enemies. Beautiful point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the other place you could do it. Now, if we had a tower in the closet, that would just be... <laughs> oh, we'd be so there. Um, now, in this case, by the way, here's the other thing that's happening. Where is his house? By the highway. It could have been his home backed up to like the wall of the city or something. Apparently. I think he did. I think there was kind of an ancestral home here enough that they had a garden and, and the tower that they had built to be able to, to pray on. But isn't it interesting? And, it's, and it mentions this a couple of times so that we get it embedded in our brain. It was by the highway, you know, leading to, by the gate to get into the city so that ever, anybody walking by would have heard you pray. Yeah. Yes. I think the Ramiantum was the false tower. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a perfect point. Same deal. Get up, pray to God. But again, we're imitating King Benjamin. We're just doing it our way kind of thing. You guys are thinking. Listen to this. You start making these connections then suddenly this stuff is just not... An interesting story, it's like, wait a minute. This is, this is here for me. What's it teaching me? Great job. 
Okay, so he's going to do this, and then we get this whole, then we get three verses. And, and well, and again, I think that there are some massive parallels, I almost did a whole slide on the parallels between Alma and Nephi. And so I want you to think of uh, Alma 29, Oh, that I were an angel, could have the wish of my heart. Nephi may have had this in mind as well, because this would be like his, what, great-grandfather? I think, yeah, great-grandfather. Okay. Listen, and so listen to this. When he says, verse 7, Oh, that I could have had my days. In, in the days when my father Nephi first came out of Jerusalem, that I could have joyed with him. Oh, I love that word. <laughs> that I could have joyed with him. In the promised land. When the people were easy to be entreated. <laughs> Somebody needed to explain this to Nephi, didn't they? Can you imagine Nephi coming back, you know, the original Nephi, and going, I hate to burst your bubble, but they drove me nuts. I could say that. Yeah. They were people who were easy to be entreated, firm to keep the commandments, and slow to be led to do iniquity, and they were quick to hearken unto the words of the Lord. If my days could have been those days, then would my soul have had joy in the righteousness of my brethren. But I am consoled that these are my days, and my soul will be filled with what? Oh, man. That depends on which side of the family you were on. Yeah. Now. Huh. Have you ever had a tower moment? <laughs> if I had just had their kids, my life would be much easier. I could have been a child in the 50s and stuff. If I could have been raised in the 50s as opposed to now, you know, when wife wore pearls and, you know, beautiful What do you do with your tower moment? Because, no, I love this. We're watching his tower moment. He's going, this is awful. And I know that my soul, because of the wickedness of these guys, is going to be filled with sorrow all the days of my life. Yeah? Just know that God is in control and you're supposed to do your part. And help take your hand. Is it hard in tower moments to keep that perspective that God is in control? Especially when everything seems to be happening because remember <coughs> bad things always happen in uh, yes. <laughs> so what do we do in our tower moment because we all have them and I just think it's so wonderful to have Alma and Nephi's tower moments telling us that even prophets have these moments yeah Yeah. Yes, she's mentioning, I remember those days. I don't know if you remember, uh, 
those days when President Kimball was the only walking member of the first presidency <laughs> wounded, in priesthood session, he'd be the only one there. You know, everybody else was so advanced in age, and it was just him. And that's when he was having uh, a number of people speak. You know, there weren't even general authorities. You know, he's looking, I need to fill some time in this priesthood session, and the rest of my brethren are gone. Uh, and he's saying, now what do I do? And you're right. And then the Lord said, this is my church. I know what I'm doing. By the way, do you think President Hinckley grew at those times when he was the only member of the First Presidency? Think that benefited him later on when he had to take the reins of the church? Absolutely. So he's preparing. So let me ask you, how do you handle your tower moments? <laughs> Nephi was doing later. Have dessert after my tower moment and it will be chocolate. That's good. Okay? How about how has anybody else found that that helps? Yeah. It's hard to follow eat chocolate, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, come back from that one. Yeah. Even though at the time it doesn't feel like it's a small thing, you know. Yeah. You need a break. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I remember. I look back on the other times when I've had my tower moments, where the Lord has stepped in and helped me through them, and recognize He'll help me through this one also. Ah, okay, I like that one, yeah. See, she, she says, recognizing, sometimes in the good times, it's good to go back and look at the tower moments and go, you know what, how did I get out of that one? What eventually happened? And at the time, we weren't sure we'd get through it, but isn't it interesting? we get through it, and we learned some things, and we grew from some things, but in the mi middle of our tower moment, we're not hearing that quite as well. Yeah. I was just going to say, or like, you don't, I... I don't know. One time when I was having one of these moments, a friend called and needed me, and just totally, I was so busy helping with what she had needed, and my mind was off the problem and passing, and so I got service. Ah, okay. Let me take let me take that in terms of what I see in my practice. So here, here's a recommendation coming from a. Uh, trained professionals. <laughs> In your tower moments, allow yourself to be served. Allow people to serve you. So often we put we put the emphasis on, and I think it helps to be able to serve others. But by far and away, I have found that people that recover a little bit quicker is when, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit you let people serve you. Because out of that comes an incredible gratitude to the wonderful people around you. 
and suddenly this tower moment is not so overwhelming. Yeah. I, I feel good when I read this because it seems like I can have this moment. I can have this moment. I'm having a moment. Even Nephi. Even Nephi had these moments, and if someone wants to help me and serve me, then two of us are blessed. Yeah. Well, there's a humbleness there. Yeah. To, to allow yourself to be served. Vulnerability, humbleness. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That's why I said. That's why. I'm, that's why I can't emphasize enough. In your tower moments, and I wish I'd put it as the principle. In tower moments, allow yourself to be served. Allow people to reach out to you and help you. Yeah. I remember at a, at a time a few years ago, and, and we were going through kind of a tough financial time. And, uh, and we, were, we were really kind of scraping by, we were doing some things business-wise, and it's like, okay, this money's going to be really, really tight here, how are we going to get through this? And a uh, wonderful brother in our ward shows up on our, our doorstep, and, he's, and he says, uh, you guys have got like a big freezer. And I said, yeah, and he goes, I've been out like hunting hogs and we just slaughtered uh, this big hog that we did and we got like, like, you know, 100 pounds of meat. We have to put it somewhere. Could we put it in your freezer? And I said, sure. And then he goes, it took me a while before I figured out. And if you want to use some, go ahead. And I think we ate most of it. <laughs> because he kept saying, I'll come back and get it, but he would never come back and get it. You know, it's like he was sparing me my pride or something and saying, I want to give this to you, but if you just store it in your freezer, and it was only when I finally put two and two together that I just realized what an incredible gift uh, from a, a very loving act from a person, getting me through a tower moment. So just having the meat there just seemed to help a lot. I think we have those points. Yeah, sure. Liberty Jail with Joseph Smith and that temple prison moment where uh, I think possibly was one of his tower moments. Oh, there's no, there's no question that Liberty was a tower moment. Yeah, and in fact, and, and let, me just, let me just quote this. Uh, and I, I've mentioned this before. We'll do more of this next year. We'll do a Doctrine Covenants. And that is the lines that come... The lines in uh, his letter that he wrote to the saints that come right in between um, the first seven verses of section 121, where art thou, uh, how bad are things, where are, you know, and we're struggling, tower moment. Then in the middle of that he says, those who have been enclosed in the temple have no idea how sweet the voice of a friend is. And he says, the voice of a friend moves, he says, with the avidity of lightning. And it moves the heart back and forth. And then he says, and then when the heart is sufficiently contrived, then the spirit steals along and says, comma, my son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine affliction shall be but a small moment. That's what comes just ahead of that verse. And it has everything to do with friends and being served. It has everything to do with uh, Porter Rockwell sliding bits of bread and food through the little windows uh, and, and 
then into the basement where they, they work, trying to slide between the bars, uh, people dropping off letters. The letting knew that he was not yet as Joel. He still had friends. Okay. Question? Oh, I, I didn't have a question. I was just sitting there thinking he talks about lightning. I'm just looking at the, the whole, I guess the analogy of, he's talking about lightning and then the storms and then he's talking about whispers. And it's just about exactly what we were talking about with the, with the Lamanites. Lightning and storms and then it's still storms. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Okay, so here's the principle. Uh, angels respond to our tower moments on both sides of the veil. Now, by the way, I need to... Uh, I, I was telling my wife last night, I was trying to, I, trying to put this together and I wanted to put a background picture on, on this one. Uh, and I put... I think I had heaven... Heaven listens to our tower moments or something. But I wanted to find a picture of somebody that was just at his rope's end. And the only one I kept thinking of was George Bailey. With the wonderful line. Because I wanted a picture. So I found a picture of him. I put it up there. And then I, I put it in there. And then I just kind of stared at my computer. And I went, oh, it's George Bailey. <laughs> Waiting for Clarence to show up. Angels respond to our talent. I think is the principle. Okay. All right. Nine minutes. Uh, I think we're in good shape. Helaman 12. Now, every now and then, Mormon just can't help himself, man. He's got he's to summarize everything that he just saw and heard. And so, we're gonna, and so what we get with Helaman 12 is Mormon's commentary uh, kind of putting a button on everything that he's just heard with Nephi and Lehi. And just before we get into Samuel the Lamanite. Okay, so... Uh, verse 2... And thus we see that at the very time the Lord doth prosper his people, increase their fields, deliver them out of the lands of their enemies, in fine doing all things for the welfare and happiness of his people. And they, they forget the Lord and do trample under their feet the Holy One. And then he tells you why. Why it is that in the midst of God giving his people everything, they don't respond well. And he says, and this because of what? Their ease. Their ease. Their easiness. Okay, now, why? What is there about ease that would cause us to reject all the good things of the Lord? Wouldn't it make life easier? What is there about ease? We forget that. See, we got the stuff. All the good things happen, and really quickly our mind, rather than says, the Lord has been really gracious to me and given those things, what do we do? Well, it just be it must be me that got it, me that did it, my efforts. 
Lord, but I really don't need your help. I already got this stuff. Okay? And so that's why he's saying in verse 4, how foolish and vain and devilish, how quick to do iniquity and slow to do good. In verse 4, and the children of men, how quick to hearken to the words of the evil one and set their hearts on the vain things of the world. Okay? Now, let me, just, let me just kind of put this. Here's what we just heard. This part here. But I want to stack this up against if, if ease is the negative part, I want to put, here's the, pause, here's the Lord's reverse to them. And it actually comes, and keep in mind the tower moments. Okay? Moroni 7.3, which says... Therefore I would speak unto you that are what? Hey, he's talking to us. And in this case, by the way, he's also speaking, I believe, uh, to the uh, anti-Nephi-Lehites. I think this is, this is them. Uh, that are the peaceable followers of Christ. It's the only people that Mormons could have been preaching to in that last, those last days that would have been the peaceable people. Everybody else was a mess. Then he says this, and that have obtained a sufficient hope for what? By which you can enter into the rest of the Lord from this time henceforth. We talk about the rest of the Lord being one day I will enter into his rest. I'll be in the bosom of Abraham. I'm going to die and go to heaven and finally be at rest. Well, can you picture can you picture the Savior like at the end of the like fifth day of creating the world and going, oh, I need a rest. Says that he rested. Is that because he was pooped and he needed a drink of water or something like that? Those out were unbelievable. Oh my gosh, I'm digging out the Grand Canyon. Oh, I need a rest. What does it mean that he rested? That he was tired? Because remember, we didn't take time to go through it. Uh, at the, we're, the chapter before this, Nephi gets the sealing power after his tower moment, and the Lord says, I'm going to give you the sealing power because of your unweariness. You never stop. Gives him the sealing power, and Nephi then does what? Goes out and preaches some more. He's, he's un, unwearying. But he's just... So what's this? Well, I feel that he had the power and he said instead of having these wars, please just have a famine in the land. So maybe they'll turn to you. Yeah. But, but while he's doing this, let, let me ask this. Has, has Nephi, while he's still sorrowing and he's still struggling, has he entered into the rest of the Lord? Yes. Yes. So what does it mean to rest? Work. <laughs> For the Lord. For the Lord. Maybe it's just that the Lord is helping you carry it. And with that authority. And then with that, then you're on His errand. But isn't it interesting that, and I, and I believe that a synonym for rest is joy. I think, that, I think it means the same thing. 
When I start to get that idea that this could be true, I'm praying to the voice and I'm listening to the still small voice. Uh, and I don't think I... Did I put it in here? I may not have included it. Um, dang, I wish I could remember where I, I found it. Anyway... Uh, I found a uh, I found a verse last night that talked about rest also coming having to do with repentance. That when we are cleansed of sin, we have entered into His rest. I wish I remember where that that verse is. I'll, I'll remember it on the way home. Uh, I believe that this rest of the Lord is what comes after tower moments. That we go through those struggles, and the Lord says. And we have let people serve us and help us and be in our lives and do the things that we can't do. And we are so grateful that as our circumstances change a little bit, now we're in a position to go serve and bless the lives of others. That's what we do. And I think that's the moment where he says, and henceforth, from this time, you will enter into my rest. Yeah. Well, in fact, in fact, the Savior says that, doesn't he? He says, I would, you know, if you give me your burdens and I will give you rest. In other words, you're going to turn it over to him. Now, generally, again, rest means that if I'm going to, one of the reasons why we sometimes struggle to allow the Lord to take over is that we have this hunch that if I'm going to turn my will and life over to him, he's got a lot of things for me to do. I will be busier in His service than I was ever busy in my own. But I will have His wind beneath my wings. I will, I will be empowered and strengthened to do everything He has in my hands. Yeah? I, when I think of the word rest, I, I have a sigh. It's like, okay, now I can go on. I, and that can go along with that. You give it to the Lord. It's, you can go. It's like taking a deep breath and saying, okay, we can, we can do this. Can I add? One piece of that. I think also when we take that big deep breath, uh, the uh, it, it's like we breathe Him in. It's like we're, we're taking in the breath of life. Uh, there's a Hebrew part of that that says that when when man drew in breath, he drew in that spirit, and then he stood up, standing up as a man is is where you can eat the fruit, as opposed to crawling on slithering on the ground. I mean, you're gonna. You stand up, and you're filled with Him. So I, that's a perfect analogy for that. Yeah, sure. Yes, that's it. You, you want to read it real quick, and then we'll be done. Just in finishing. Broken hearts, contrite spirits, 
are the things that get us through our tower moments, allowing people to serve us, get us through our tower moments. When we do, we then enter into His rest, and we're able to do everything that the Lord intends for us. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we can do that, and we allow Him to take over, and do it, and let Him do for us what He wants to do for us. Let Him serve you. And your tower moments won't be quite so And I leave that with you in Jesus' name.